Greetings, greetings, Grey Wolves. Uh, hello to all our subscribers, and uh, thank you again for subscribing. And thank you again for joining us on this, your premium bonus and uh, really better, uh, the better show uh, for this week. Um, hello again. We should uh, probably let you guys in on a little bit of uh, Chapo family business. Uh, Felix and I just came from a meeting with our uh, official business manager, attorney, and accountant. And uh, we are officially an LLC in the state of New York. So I give to you, the su subscribers who made this happen, Large Sons Productions is now officially the Chapo LLC. Um, and we're uh, thrilled to be uh, bringing it to you. Corporate Chapo in the house. <laughs> yeah, this is all... Yeah, you guys thought we were joking last week when we said that we were going in a new neoliberal direction. Wrong. We always say what we're going to do. Markets are the solution to all of our problems. Uh, I really think that uh, the variety in Tynox speaks to the advancement in quality of life in the last 30 years. How can you go into a sharper image and not feel like capitalism is winning? <laughs> we are absolute sellouts now so and i want to thank you guys all for making that possible we are now at almost a thousand uh subscribers on the patreon so again uh awesome job uh thank you so much for everyone who's subscribing and uh please keep spreading the word about this awesome uh better content that you can get for only five dollars a month the low low price uh available soon um yeah it's it's going great and uh also, uh, just a little bit of house cleaning now. I want to, um, at the top of the show this week, uh, just address a few, a uh, couple, couple criticisms that we've got uh, in the menchies uh, from from uh, some listeners. Um, these these anonymous cowards, uh, these snakes, uh, of course, open with praising. They open with praise, like true backstabbers. They say, "Hey, love the show." Um, really like listening, blah, blah, blah. And then they, uh, then they twist the knife. Then they bite you. Uh, one person said that I, me personally, Will Meneker, have a millennial uptalk. And I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, that's just a ridiculous, right? I mean, come on. I don't talk like that at all. We have grizzled Gen X voices. <laughs> I'm barely a millennial. I'm, I'm barely a millennial. I'm an elder statesman millennial, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then uh, the the other coward uh, said that uh, they love the show, but Matt, uh, you interrupt the guests too much. The fuck? <laughs> and what I got to... <laughs> fucking show yourself! <laughs> what I got to say to that is... Um, Thanks for the uh, constructive criticism, homie, but um, we'll interrupt your fucking life. How about that? I'm going to show up at your job and tell you you suck! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to the, the cowards who criticize us, just know um, we have screenshots of everything. You've been blocked, reported, and we're now suing you because we you know, have a lawyer now, and we can do that. 
I didn't get the same criticism that Will and Matt got. Um, not the same variety of criticism, but I got kind of backhanded criticism. People saying that my dick is disproportionately large to my body, uh, that I'm working on too many great projects at one time. Uh, and I just want to say, fuck you. That's an attack on all of us. <laughs> <laughs> the criticism Felix got is that people uh, want to go back to the episode where you uh, breathed heavily throughout the entire show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, but no, we're working on getting better every day, and I, and I think we are. So yeah, uh, for our uh, premium show this week, uh, I'd like to... The first thing I want to talk about is give a little uh, plug to uh, to Felix, who had an article in the Daily Beast this week, which means that we uh, will have to delay our jihad against that publication another another month or so. I don't know. We'll, we'll let this one lie. But uh, Felix, you wrote a uh, a sort of a R.I.P. Uh, in memoriam for uh, Kimbo Slice at the uh, Daily Beast. The headline was. Uh, Kimbo Slice, Miami Sleaze and American Racism, which was a, a, a great headline. But uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your recollections of the great bare knuckle backyard fighter, Kimbo Slice? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, first, I want to say a uh, shout out to uh, my former spy master uh, in uh, Afghanistan, where we met uh, my friend Michael Weiss. Thanks a lot, Michael. I got your back as always. Red Ocelot. As I used to call you <laughs> under your code name, Michael. Let's let's cut some grass soon. Thanks, buddy. Uh, second of all, yeah, um, I uh, it was a sort of short notice thing. I I had radio to do that day. Shout out to our boy Jordan Breen from the Sure Dog Radio Network has been saying very nice shit about us on his on his show Cheap Seats, which you you should absolutely listen to if you like MMA. I woke up and I had to do radio with him. Uh, that was very fun, but while I was doing that, a uh, guy from the Daily Beast emailed me and basically wanted me to do an obituary for uh, Kevin Ferguson, or as everyone knew him, Kimbo Slice. But yeah, no, so Kimbo was, he was a very interesting guy. He was, I'd say that he was the first breakout YouTube star, and I talked about this in the piece, and now when we think of YouTube stars, we think of guys named, you know, Chris Del Chad. Yeah, no, I just, I just, if I could read from you for a second, you said uh, about YouTube stars, you said, uh, now the term evokes hyper-manicured, telegenic teenagers who perform highly rehearsed comedy skits made to look organic or spit truisms about video games or bullying in front of a front-facing MacBook camera. But yeah, no, what, what, what's interesting is, man, this was like back in the the super early days of YouTube, like when, when did he first really come on the scene with these videos? Cause I remember it was just one of these things where like my friends would be like, Oh man, you got to see this shit. This guy is just like housing dudes in some backyard, like just bare knuckle style, just lacing guys. And it was like some really raw shit, but it was one of those early, like viral, uh, video sensations. It was about Oh five, Oh six. That's yeah. when uh, people first saw the big D fight. And that's actually where Kimbo got the name Kimbo slice. Uh, see, cut this poor fucker's eye open uh kimbo won all these fights except for one his match against uh sean gannon that guy who was a former cop right yeah and it was a it was a legendary thing it took place in 2004 if i recall correctly and there was a thread on the ug which is the big 
big MMA forum where guys talk about uh, how everyone has it out for them and their ex-wives are bitches <laughs> and it's bullshit that they can't train because they got DUIs. Uh, and they were really excited for Sean Gannon to fight because, as I talked about in the piece, uh, the group of people that hated Kimbo the most were hardcore MMA fans. Obviously, there was a racial terror component to Kimbo's popularity, a sort of Victorian element where people were horrified by this massive man and they were excited for him to lose but mma fans were furious that he was getting this big paycheck these big paychecks all this attention uh basically had an entire promotion elite xc built around him but like the thing is like like you said like he wasn't actually that good of a fighter when he finally got into the ufc right right he uh I mean, he got knocked out in Elite XC. He got knocked out by Seth Petrozilli, who's, you know, not a great fighter. But Kimbo would be the first to tell you he wasn't great. He, you know, on, on Ultimate Fighter, he'd always talk about how shitty his ground game was. He was not a guy who hyped himself up like he was the baddest fucker on the planet because he knew he wasn't. He wanted to make as much money possible for his family. And that Ultimate Fighter thing, you know, what a fucking terrible show that is. But he it did it did a bunch of good things over the course of its existence and one of those things was that it showed people the real Kimbo it showed people Kevin Ferguson and he was this really nice humble sweet guy and he would make barbecue for the other fighters I mean I know it's reality TV but every personal account I've ever heard of people who've trained with Kimbo who were in the same gym as him who met him who were friends with him was that he was that guy he was a really sweet genuine guy and MMA fans grew to love him a little bit and, you know, they laughed when he got washed out of the UFC because they knew he was a, sort of a shit MMA fighter, but uh, it was, you know, it was very... The community that hated him the most at one point, MMA fans, were the people that were the saddest he was gone uh, last week. Well, it was certain... I, myself, never watched any of his fights. I'm more familiar with his side career uh, working with certain entrepreneurs, uh, video entrepreneurs in the Miami area. <laughs> the job that he did uh, allowing, you know, your Shia uh, Styles and your, your Phoenix Marie's the, the freedom to go into a nightclub in Miami and, and have sex in public for two hours without getting harassed. I just, that work was, that was very important to me. Yeah, for... uh, I will always, I was always be thankful to him for that. Yeah, for uh, those of you who don't know, what uh, Matt is referring to is Kimbo's pre-fighting career, and actually he held this employment until his death, is he was a bodyguard for Reality Kings, uh, part of the Bang Bus Empire. So think of Kimbo <laughs> as one of the warriors from the, the movie the, 13 Hours, but with Bang Bus instead of the embassy. <laughs> which really, what's more important? <laughs> Sir, if you don't let me get to the Bang Bus right now, Sasha is going to get DP'd. <laughs> They want autographs. Let them up. It's just like he's in the compound, and and outside there's just like you know a horde of uh of Hollywood beer nerds, basically. <laughs> Kimbo, they're rushing. They're rushing the fuck team five van now, now, now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he uh, he held that they Reality Kings employed him in a security capacity until. Uh, I think until his death, they may they want me to see if I can 
talk to some people there for a follow-up so stay tuned uh if i get some callbacks over there but so you uh, may you may you may be appearing again in the daily beast sometime soon you know either in that or uh me and uh michael are actually launching another podcast uh it's called uh the wonk hole <laughs> and we we talk uh, you know it's dedicated to the memory of our friend zoran halush <laughs> Syrian reformer with results. When you were going through edits for that piece, how many times did the editor suggest that you add a parenthetical about how we need to uh, attack Russia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he did. <laughs> well, um, yeah, no, my my best to uh, your handler, uh, Michael Weiss at the Daily Beast. Um, glad to have him in our corner. Uh, but it was a it was a great article, Felix, and it, uh, sort of a poignant note. Uh, the last line of the article was. Um, the guy, uh, the guy who knew he wasn't that good, but he was willing to test himself and fail on a massive stage. So I think there's a, there's something poignant, and I think uh, you know very uh, um, emblematically American uh, about this guy and his life. Failing publicly is my entire ethos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, uh, everyone, go check out that if you haven't already. Uh, Felix's byline at the Daily Beast um, and uh, R.I.P. Kimbo. Making a transition from uh, a guy who, you know, wasn't afraid to get punched in the face, uh, you know, or just break someone's jaw in, you know, a, a backyard of Miami to uh, a, a different a different breed of warrior. Um, I, you know, I, I said I wasn't going to do this. On, <laughs> we, I, we said we flushed him down the toilet on, uh, on our uh, episode uh, 13 uh, from earlier this week. But I'm sorry, guys. I have to go back uh, to the David French well. I'd like. Hey, to uh, hey, some turds stick to the side of the bowl. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, this is this is essentially this is my complex. Like I'm I'm like the way Felix is into MMA and like knows everything about the stats on all of the fighters and like on every card of every fucking MMA bout. I'm like that with the uh, National Review writers. And there's something about <laughs> something about David French. I just can't, I can't get it out of my system. But um, I, I this is I, I found an article. Um, this is about uh, the David French uh, candidacy or uh, non-candidacy by uh, Noah Rothman at uh, Commentary Magazine, which is like you know probably just as good as the National Review in my opinion. But um, I, I just I, I feel I feel like I have to we have to read from this because. God, it, it, the title of this article is "When the Good Do Nothing," and it's just like <laughs> I can't imagine being this self-serious about about anything, really. Like I just can't imagine writing about yourself like this, or like I mean, he's writing about his friend David French, but implicitly he's I am the good, and like you know, this is what happens when the good do nothing. And the, I think the phrase "the fate of the republic" is used about three times in this fucking article. But um, there, there's a couple there's a, a couple good cuts in here. Uh, so this is from a Noah Rothman in Commentary Magazine. Uh, he writes, In rejecting the overtures of the forlorn anti-Trump right for National Review, French didn't devote much space to waxing about his deliberative process or his qualifications for the presidency. Um, now, th he's referring to that article in the National Review that we read in uh, the last episode, uh, in the free episode. Uh, so you, you heard a little from that, but Rothman says he didn't devote too much space to waxing about his deliberative process or his qualifications for the presidency. Um, he didn't devote too much space to that because uh, he has neither. There was nothing to write about. 
<laughs> he says, in bowing out, French has saved the Trump skeptical right some face. They should not celebrate this Pyrrhic victory. It is now clear that men and women of good conscience and character have been driven out of presidential politics. <laughs> I pour one out for for legendarily selfless public servants like Richard Nixon. <laughs> when Bush said, when his campaign did a push poll to ask uh, South Carolina voters about John McCain's supposed illegitimate black child, he did it with honor. <laughs> he prayed before he did it. Uh, Rothman continues. More than a few political analysts proclaimed that they had never heard of the two-time New York Times best-selling author and prolific conservative <laughs> writer. Uh, Noah, hello, Chapo Trap House was not in that group. We, I was already very familiar with David French. We're French uh, fries. <laughs> yeah. As, as though that admission of ignorance and intellectual sequestration was something for which they should be proud. I fucking agree. And by the way, uh, just a little inside knowledge, whenever one of these conservative authors claims that they're a New York Times bestselling author. It's absolute bullshit. They're, they, no. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all they, they all do these give out yeah. as as party favors for for uh, subscribing to their shitty websites. Yeah, there are conservative institutions and companies that specifically uh, juice uh, the New York Times bestseller list through bulk buys. It's not individual. Like they buy like ten thousand copies of it on the first week and give them out as party favors. Or thank you for joining the American Renaissance uh, list serve. <laughs> Here is your complimentary copy of David French's Toilet Warrior. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you you have you have signed up for restrict restrict wife access dot app. Uh, <laughs> here is a free copy of David French, my war against uh, my war against torts in Iraq. The death the Iraqi people owe me. Uh, no, how badass are the conservatives though? Because what are their two two of their big cultural issues outside of bathrooms now are uh, participation medals and uh, welfare queens. They actually have the best guaranteed income apparatus with their fucking think tanks with their shitty magazines that no one reads. They're just holes of dark money. And now, uh, yeah, you guys are finding out that they have participation medals. If you write a book where you talk about how you know, you write some Rob Dreher fantasy about trans people mobbing you when you're trying to see Batman versus Superman or your plan to restore honor and dignity back to the urinal or, <laughs> or just any of these psychotic what books. What Churchill would say about Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. If you write one of these fucking books, you will get the participation medal, the New York Times participation medal, because some syphilitic billionaire gave your foundation enough money to buy 10,000 copies. Uh, continuing... Uh, those who went about parsing French's work swiftly took issue with his views, which are at once conservative and evangelical Christian, that an urban, coastal political media establishment finds traditionally conservative worldviews alien isn't shocking. Like an amateur anthropologist mishandling an artifact of cultural significance they fail to grasp, the self-styled arbiters of American political standards glibly denigrated French's traditional values with a child recklessness. Oh, yeah, yeah. This fucking weirdo put a <laughs> nanny lock on his wife's computer because he was afraid someone was going to read Bible verses to her, to her and, and fuck him and uh, is terrified of, of bathrooms and sex and everything. This fucking freak. He's like the walls of Nineveh. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, now, uh, Noah, Noah Rothman takes this head on. He says, maybe the most transparent way in which the culturally homogenous journalist clique betrayed its purpose was the manner in which reporters implied that French's relationship with his wife was somehow untoward. A Politico reporter discovered a paragraph from an article summarizing the work of French and his wife, who co-authored a book on, on together on family and relationships when a spouse is deployed overseas on the New York Times bestseller list, I'm sure, for 10 weeks in a row, and determined that French, quote, wouldn't let his wife email men or use Facebook. Theirs was, in fact, a mutual agreement that had little to do with temptation and more with preserving the special daily interactions of which a husband and wife are deprived of in times of war. Okay, this is the biggest line of horseshit in this entire article. He says that had little to do with temptation. We, We fucking read that paragraph. There is no context in which this is not about temptation and his wife cheating on him. There, he literally, there is literally a line where he said he wanted his wife off Facebook because that is where quote the the boy ghosts of boyfriends past lurk. Yeah, like why are you trying to convince us that David French isn't one of the strangest fucking people alive? It's right in front of us. Quit emailing my wife. <laughs> Um, yeah, but okay. Uh, moving on here, uh, candidates who find themselves the object of national attention are personalized and pilloried long before their policy preferences are examining, leaving us with two candidates whose only reason for running for the presidency is their high self-regard. Again, this is just everyone who's ever ran for president ever, what he's talking about. That's why people with dignity and a decent respect for their families steer clear of elective office, wrote Red State contributor and attorney Dan McLaughlin. Hello. <laughs> Hello <been> again. <laughs> the, the, the man uh, who uh, writes under the pseudonymous Angry Baseball is, uh, this is why he, he wants to protect his family. That's what. Yeah. I mean, the paragon of dignity is the guy with the screaming cartoon baseball head. <laughs> And he closes out with, uh, what happens to a self-governed society when the highest qualification for leadership is a termination to avoid such grueling and thankless charge at all costs? We're about to find out. I mean, again, I just... I love how like self-aggrandizing this shit all is. Like it, it, it's absurd, and and also like this idea that like the this coastal media clique is so is strange alien values. It's like first of all, Noah Rothman is a fucking coastal media elite, and it's just like they're they're all, all they're angry about is that they're not in the mainstream of the culture. Like like all they want to do is dictate the terms of what the mainstream culture is in the way exactly the same way they bemoan others doing. Like it's passed them by and that, yeah, that now people are examining these like the weird, you know, uh, rituals of, uh, you know, monogamous marriage among these people uh, as like, like he said, a child handling an artifact they don't understand. It's like, dude, a monogamous marriage isn't what's weird about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I am married. I don't know. This is part of Trapo lore, but I'm a married and I have never told my wife not to email other men. That yeah. would be weird. We, me and the 18 people in my poly relationship agree that David French is a fucking weirdo. Yeah, like it has nothing to do with the specifics of his relationship or his religion, I guess, directly. It's just basically everything he's ever written publicly. It's vi- like it just in- indicts hateful. him as like a totally odd, str- a strange person, just completely outside 
the the norms of like everyday mainstream American but, culture. But I mean, I also like how they they frame this like poor David French. He never did anything to anybody, and it's true. He's a powerless piece of shit. But if you read his columns, he's like one of the, like, completely hateful fucking creep. Just like he's talking about these like poor fucking trans kids that just want to go to the bathroom and like gay people that just want to live their lives or fucking black people who don't want to be shot by police. They're just all targets of scorn for this fucking mutant. He's one of the most hateful people alive. He looks at the modern world and just passes judgment on it. They, oh. they don't meet his moral standard. He's a he's a fucking just authoritarian dick. And, he and the he's other thing that everybody the other thing because that he Noah... comes once a year. The other thing that Noah said in this article is he accused the journalist making fun of David French of being uh, effete. And again, as we've covered... I'll kick your fucking ass, pussy. As we've covered on this podcast, if David French isn't effete, I don't know what the fuck is. We, I mean, we've played like, samples of his voice. He sounds like Spike Jones. I don't want to belabor this point, but he is a weird computer game playing dork who doesn't jerk off. Goofy... He has to wear that goofy beard that looks like his face is moldy because his <laughs> chin looks like it's actually dissolving off of his face. Yeah, Noah, and Noah Rothman. Yeah, you're a, you're a fucking bitch too. You're you're a pussy. No, like, you're a little bitch. I would fucking <laughs> flatline you, and I would flatline you and everybody at commentary. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you're a little fucking pussy. No one's no one in the world is a feat compared to you and your editorial board. Uh, but moving on from Noah. I, again, I'm so sorry to, to, to keep doing this, but uh, I'm moving now to uh, another article that was written, and again, bemoaning the fact that everyone made fun of this ridiculous idea that David French was going to run for president. And this one is by uh, someone who figures, uh, I think, somewhat prominently in Chapo lore. And of course, I'm talking about the Federalists' Molly Hemingway. Official... Oh, what, oh! Did I just drop some dimes on the ground? <laughs> is 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 this the March of Dimes? Uh, for... <laughs> are but, we in, uh... are, are 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 we in Nashville? Because there's a ten I see. <laughs> but like, okay, so if, if you are Molly Hemingway, or like any of these people who are on the right, and like some and and pretty shrewd. Like, here's the thing about Molly. Like, I think. She's interesting because I I think everything she believes in is insane, but I don't think she's stupid like some of these other people. I think she's pretty shrewd about I think she's pretty clever about like how she sells her ideology and stuff. So like if you're someone who's smart and on the right, how do you deal with a figure like Bill Crystal who just with every passing day becomes more and more of a joke, but at the same time is like quite important? as like a sort of fixture in the conservative uh, intellectual movement. So here's, here's what you do. Here's the move that Molly does. She writes, but there was no announcement over the weekend. Crystal, who, agree with him or not, has managed to expertly troll people for decades without them catching on. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's just been trolling people all these time. He's he's doing irony. That's why he's so ridiculous. That time that I went to the bathroom at uh, at Burger King and I came out and I forgot to put my dick away and it was flapping around and everybody in the restaurant pointed at it and laughed. Fucking epic troll. Uh, yeah, like like for instance, when he convinced uh, the John John McCain to choose Sarah Palin as his running mate, he was trolling the Republican Party. Like like his spectacular record of failure uh, for the just for the Republican Party and the conservative movement, he's just trolling who? Like who's the object like of of this troll? You know, there were some fucking premium lulls 
when Pol Pot killed everyone with glasses. <laughs> Again, I, I, I highlight that line only because I think it's t- very telling about how someone who is sort of like uh, the, a, a smarter apparatchik of the right has to deal with a problem like Bill Crystal. And the only way out of it is to pretend that he's doing irony, basically. It's actually kind of interesting because uh, a lot of left people have to do with the same thing with Slavoj Zizek. Yeah, <laughs> Zizek busts yeah. out some like super racist shit. They're like, uh, see, he's over-identifying with the position. It's okay. It's just, <laughs> it's just the right-wing version of that. But okay, now the second thing I wanna I wanna highlight from this article is again when she deals with this uh, the emailing my wife bit. And uh, they can't let this go. They can't admit that it's freakish. (laughs) She writes, I know journalists are ignorant about most of what they cover. That's true enough. Um, That's an aside. I'm agreeing with her. But let's just go ahead and add, why do marriages keep failing to the list? It's not that people in good marriages would cheat with everyone they encounter if there were no rules on how to encourage fidelity, but how to protect oneself from cheating with just one person. A faithful marriage takes a ton of work, and even in happy marriages, one is at risks of failing to be faithful in thought, word, and deed. The best guard against it is to build a culture of trust and to institute practices to avoid temptation. One good word for marriage without mutually agreed upon rules is divorced. And I just gotta say, I think this is, uh, this actually uh, makes a lot of sense for Molly here. I think, you know, in any relationship, it's just about being open and and just keeping those lines of communication open. It's about trusting one another and being open enough to discuss issues like monogamy or non-monogamy. And just, you know, building a culture of trust to uh, negotiate the rules that you mutually agree upon, wouldn't you say? I see marriage like a bowl with a bunch of car keys in them. (laughs) You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. You know, uh, marriage is like a Dutch door. You know, uh, it swings both ways. You know, it swings one way, it swings another way. But just the important thing is just to keep swinging when you're in a marriage. And actually, this is an easy segue uh, because we're going to continue talking about uh, Molly Hemingway because she was in the New York Times Magazine uh, today in an interview with Anna Marie Cox, uh, formerly Wonkette. And the headline is, Molly Hemingway hates how feminists talk about sex. So uh, this is a good interview because um, it shows, uh, again, that Molly is no dummy and she knows how to shade what she actually believes for uh, the audience in which she says it in. And uh, Anna Marie Cox helps her in this by engaging in this bullshit directly off the right, right at the beginning. The first question to Molly is, you're a senior editor at The Federalist, a relatively conservative publication. Um... Uh, the Federalist is not a relatively conservative publication. It is an insanely conservative publication. It's probably the most arch reactionary thing that is online outside of like, you know, Stormfront or 4chan political forums. This is not a joke. Uh, the Federalist actually publishes articles from this uh, a woman who is too Catholic for First Things magazine. And I'm not kidding. They publish an article by her claiming that organ transplants are sinful because they are interrupting God's design for you to die naturally. Yeah, uh, 
A federalist is where you write if you're the type of person who calls Vatican II Vatican Jew. <laughs> it's like if, if Antonin Scalia's nightmare fever dreams after downing 55 uh, gallons of, uh, of beer and eating every fucking oyster in Chesapeake Bay were to come to life and form an internet website, it would be, it would be the federalist. AKA a moderately conservative publication. And uh, the second question that uh, Anna Marie Cox asked her is, you identify as a libertarian, right? (laughs) (laughs) Come on. And Molly's response to this is, I'm probably best described as a classical liberal, which is neither libertarian nor conservative. Dorks. Oh, Oh my my God. God. Their classical liberal deserves to just be dangling by their underwear from a lamppost. (laughs) Molly is, I mean, like the... I think Franco, I think, is the best describes her actual political orientation. Yeah, no, Franco Franco is absolutely the closest thing. And she says, uh, uh, the National Convention just happened at the end of May. Molly says, frankly, I find some of the antics that were on display down in Florida to be utterly delightful. She's talking about the like the weird guy who got naked and then the people who booed the Civil Rights Act. (laughs) (laughs) People who booed uh, seatbelts and uh, driver's license. Uh, she says um, uh, she, the interview continues this is where we get into the the, the SEX um, you used to write a sex column for a libertarian magazine oh, holy shit that's the ima- greatest sentence yeah I can't, ima- I can't imagine is need, anything need... sexier how to use bitcoin to get out of the friend zone <laughs> she said, which is a little unusual but you did it while you were writing for getreligion.org a site that focuses on how religion is covered in the mainstream press for someone on the right you talk pretty openly about sexuality uh, Molly responds I could blame everything in life on my parents they raised us to think of sex as a positive thing we were raised Lutheran and I think there's something about the Lutheran tradition that is more open to talking about things again communication open trust so important but uh, i'd also like to note that uh this is another uh late in life uh catholic convert anna marie asks you occasionally refer to natural marriage in your political writing what does that mean (laughs) i'm referring to the idea that marriage is the union of a man and a woman in sexual congress (laughs) can i get a quorum call (laughs) Do you think that the government should privilege those relationships now that same-sex marriage is legal? There's an order toward procreation, and I think there's a reason societies throughout all place and time have privileged family. The norms associated with marriage and family are built on certain things that are distinct in heterosexual relationships. Oh, well. I think the usual criticism of conservative Christians is not that they hate sex, it's that they disapprove of certain types of sex. Sorry, that's the question. And Molly's response is, a lot of people have this understanding that Christians do hate sex. Everybody has a sexual ethic and sexual mores. If you don't talk about it from a Christian moral perspective, you're just letting other people who have complete domination of the subject, and it weakens the overall conversation. Uh, again, uh, the interviewer here lets her get away with these fucking half-ass answers that like don't really say anything or like. You couldn't get away with this shit getting interviewed at a fucking beauty pageant. That's how dude, vapid it is. Dude, Benny Johnson would be asking follow-ups. Uh, to borrow the terminology of the Dan, this is the question now. This is the follow-up question. Uh, to borrow the terminology of the Dan Savages of the world, conservatives should be more sex positive because if they don't talk about sex, it's going to be left to people like Dan Savage. 
Molly says. Did, did she I, mean people like Dan Savage? <laughs> gay people? or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Molly says, I think people should be positive about sex because it's such a positive thing. When you do things that are wrong, when you abuse that relationship or use it for power, it causes so much damage. It's important that people think about sex, about how to do it, and about how to do it right. Which is, of course, um, penis and vagina in the context of a married uh, Catholic couple. But I, I know I see. I don't think Both Molly is like costume. that. <laughs> and then she says, "You sound a little bit like a feminist in talking about sex that way." Really? Because every time I hear feminists talk about sex, it seems to be a thing of pain and domination. I get a lot of happy. I don't get a lot of happy feelings from feminists when they're talking about sex. And that's the end of the fucking interview. I mean. God, there's so much more that could be discussed here about, you know, uh, how to keep things interesting in a long-term uh, monogamous married relationship. Yeah, how to, um, you know, take that bowl of keys that symbolizes the marriage and, uh, you know, just mix them up, have a real, have a party with those keys, so to speak. Um, I do want to give Molly one more uh, shout out because in the little sidebar, it's like a little thing about, you know, age, occupation, hometown. And uh, she lists her five, uh, Molly's top five sexiest films. And uh, clocking in at number four is Showgirls by Paul Verhoeven, which uh, I got to say, Molly. Yeah, dude, I respect that. Not because I think Showgirls is actually like a not sexy movie at all, but I give her credit. Apparently Molly gets off on watching uh, Elizabeth Berkley grind like she's being electrocuted. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if there's a theme in all of Paul Verhoeven's movies, and it's partly why I think he's a genius, it's uh, just the utterly ugly, disposable nature of the human body. <laughs> and just the just cheap, utterly awful and disposable nature of, of sex and human relationships. And uh, perhaps nowhere was that more uh, put to more gratuitous use than in Showgirls. So I was surprised, but also heartened that it figured uh, on her list of sexiest films because I think it would be on my list of most underrated films. So cheers to that, Molly. Damn good movie. Yeah. Like all Verhoeven, it's solid. I think uh, now I just want to introduce, uh, this is completely unrelated to everything we've just been talking about, but I want to introduce sort of a, a new segment on the show uh, called uh, Chapo Lore. And this is sort of like our uh, the Chapo screenplay uh, fun that we're doing with the Ahmed Chalabi biopic, um, Woke Justified, and uh, Ram Bro, uh, Thirst Blood. Uh, I'm pitching a new movie called um, Eyes Wide Cuck, and uh, it's about um, you know uh, a conservative power couple in D.C. Uh, that are sort of struggling with their uh, monogamous relationship. Uh, their names are uh, Miriam and Jack Hawthorne. And they both write for, you know, big-time conservative publications. And uh, one of them is sort of more on, like, the husband is kind of more into foreign policy and, like, you know, neoconservative, uh, you know, hawkish uh, bomberan shit. But the uh, the wife, Miriam, is definitely more into the uh, moral scolding and uh, baby-killing beat. But it's about how they um, they get invited to uh, an orgy at the uh, Heritage Foundation, and it like you know, sort of uh, challenges the the bonds. He goes on a, like a dark odyssey into like you know the nighttime of DC. Yeah, it's uh, it's a new category of film. Well, not really new, but it's a classic category that sort of died out in the '70s. We call it erotic thriller. <laughs> I mean, God, I wish Stanley Kubrick was still alive. 
But uh, yeah, Eyes Wide Cuck, uh, the you know dark erotic thriller about you know a conservative power couple who sort of like goes on sort of a a sexual odyssey into like their deepest, darkest uh, realms of uh, marriage and insecurity. By the way, uh, this is sort of an aside, but in terms of the uh, Chapo uh, bends the world thing, uh, there was a bombing in a Target bathroom today. Did you guys see that? <laughs> R.I.P. Rod. Rod. Rod was seen yelling "Allahu Akbar." Twenty <laughs> first century America has a weather weather underground for toilets. That's how good shit's going right now. <laughs> <laughs> Toilet things are, ISIS. Things are really fucking awesome right now. Uh, no, we were we fucking we've been joking about people blowing up Target bathrooms for like two weeks now, and someone fucking did it. Someone actually set off a improvised explosive device in a fucking Target bathroom. That's fucking amazing. Think about I, I feel really bad for you know. I mean, I always feel sympathy for Al Qaeda, but uh, I feel <laughs> bad for like whatever Al Qaeda guy had to talk to the bathroom warrior. Like, to, trying to walk him through how to set up Semtex and all this. And the guy was just screaming about bathrooms. And even the Al-Qaeda guy was like, oh, my God, give it a rest, guy. It was like a middle-aged woman, too, which is the best part. She's a doer. Okay. Um, I think that uh, I think we should wrap it up for this uh, premium show. But uh, we got to go out with uh, a duck hunt that we promised you. Uh, and this week it's the hunt of uh, I think a, a sort of a sad ugly duckling but it's one that we have to do nonetheless an aged duck <laughs> the drifter of ducks we're talking of course about uh, <laughs> erstwhile uh, Vermont Senate candidate in 2018 Al Giordano <laughs> <laughs> now this is a guy who has decided to run to challenge Bernie Sanders uh, Senate seat in 2018 Purely because he's mad online. And, yeah. uh, okay, now, th this one, like, you, what you have to do, again, you have to Google image search this guy. And I've been thinking about it all week because, like, he has such a specific look. And it, it, it like, reminded me of something, like, so, like, profoundly, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I think I finally come to... I, I think I finally figured it out. And Al Giordano, when you look up his uh, image... Looks like a cross between Tom York of Radiohead and Dustin Hoffman as Ratso Rizzo in Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, Al, Al Giordano, uh, you, you guys, if you were like me and you read Narco News, which actually was a fucking awesome website, it was really a really good news source about uh, narcotics policy, the drug war in South and Latin America. That Al was somehow involved in, and involved to the point where he ruined it. It used to be that you would go to Narco News, and the articles would be like inside the FARC dirty war shit you couldn't really find uh, in other English language sources. And then uh, about 2014, 2015, it just became Al Schilling for something he called the School of Authentic Journalism, which, uh, to my knowledge, didn't produce anything, uh, didn't produce any graduates. Uh, wasn't a physical place, but hey, I'll have to get that money, and he's get, he, he's getting that money again to run the world's least successful Senate primary campaign. And uh, like I said, this is the this is the only political campaign uh, more futile and useless than the one David French uh, decided not to do. But uh, Al actually uh, got coverage for this uh, in the Daily Beast. See, we're coming full circle. Man, they will really let any piece of shit in there. <laughs> they will let any in fucking no <laughs> and nobody write for them. But uh, yeah, Joy Ann Reed did a profile of Al Giordano. And uh, so uh, she writes, so why would he do it? 
Because in Giordano's view, and that of his social media supporters, Bernie is losing ugly and hurting the Democrats' chance of prevailing against Donald Trump in November. I mean, who have, what haven't they touched, Giordano asks, peering at me via a 6x4 Skype window from his home in Mexico City. What part of the Obama coalition have they not alienated? It's like they want to erase his coalition. And it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? The Bernie Sanders coalition is just all the young people who are part of the Obama coalition. It's like, it's, more, it's, more it's, like half, it's like half of what the Obama coalition was. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. And he says, for me... This is not about Hillary Clinton, who has her strengths and has her flaws. This is about the coalition that has saved the United States and can keep saving it. And this needs to be protected. And maybe it's time for the Obama coalition to go to Vermont. (laughs) 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 This guy is like fucking almost 60 years old. And I like I I mean, he blocked me right away. But I, I found out this guy, he was just like one of these obnoxious like Hillary men. And he was this, like I said, a 60-year-old guy, like, accusing people of sea-lioning and white-knighting online. And he's like, the Bernie stands are sea-lioning again, blocked. And it's like, dude, you're 60. He says dude bros more than anyone in the history of the universe has ever said those words. He makes Scotty Burberry look like a fucking linguist. Well, that's the funny thing is that Scotty Burberry in his 50 alts is basically what convinced this idiot to run for office. He's basically getting catfished into a pointless Senate campaign because the 500 alternative accounts of one psychotic from Philadelphia have uh, convinced him that there's this huge groundswell of antipathy to Sanders in Vermont, even though they're one guy who doesn't even live there. (laughs) Yeah. he mentions the thing that uh, originally ticked him off about Bernie is that uh, rally in the South Bronx, Felix, that uh, that you went to. And uh, Giordano is actually from the South Bronx. So, you know, props to him, another New York guy like me. Hey, get a real old slice, man. El Giordano, <laughs> hey. But he says, I felt that he was using the South Bronx as a prop. Not a single person from the South Bronx was mentioned from that say, stage or given a speaking role. Nothing was said about the history of the neighborhood or how it picked itself up by its bootstraps and cleaned itself up with blah, blah, blah. And he just goes oh, on and he's saying like, fuck <laughs> it's like, this is a guy who's a democratic socialist and he's ignoring what's going on there. It's like, my dude, like, what do you, like, what did you expect him to say? He's running for president. Like, he's going to go on stage and give a whole history of the South Bronx. Like, 18, no other presidential candidate went to the Bronx. He had 18,000 people turn out there. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, it was all, like, it, people loved it. People had a great time. I mean, it wasn't exactly, like, you know, as fun as Skyping with Al Giordano as he <laughs> tries to use terms that were invented on Tumblr Uh at the exact same age that he became eligible for Medicare. But, uh, you know, I guess Al would have rather had that Bernie give an exhibit from the Tenement Museum or something <laughs> of this nature. Uh, no, but he says he plans to organize in Vermont based around the principles that he founded for this in the School of Authentic Journalism. <laughs> One of the most successful projects I've ever seen. He uh, says, uh, he's like, I, I says, I plan to give people training that the Sanders campaign couldn't give them. And he says he'll model it on Camp Obama boot camps for young organizers. He's starting the fucking <laughs> <laughs> uh, Obama campaign organizing that immediately was disbanded after the election and led directly to a fucking baying army of Tea Party chuds taking over Congress and not relinquishing it for the next yeah. six years. I am gonna model the, the, the I am gonna model my backyard off of the Magino line. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in Vermont. Uh, shout out Rob, shout out Nick. 
Bernie is really fucking beloved in Vermont, even by Republicans. Like, you know, my, my friend's parents up there, some of them are Republicans. They still really like him. They really respect him. His constituents fucking love him. Contrast with Al Giordano, who seems to be hated by 90% of the people that encounter him. I don't really see how this can go wrong for Al. <laughs> so, uh, Al, um, best of luck with the campaign. It's going to be a while till 2018, but, um, you know, that's a lot of time for you to get organized, get organized, to move back to the United States. <laughs> yeah, to move. <laughs> to <laughs> to take up residency in Vermont um, and just chase those dude bros, you know, Ch- chase them out, you know, Ch- chase the money changers and the dude bros out of the temple because I think that's what needs to be done. Yeah, sweet, yeah. The, the sea, the, <laughs> we believe in you. The sea lining has gotten out of control. Yeah, you you just Al. They've been in your mansions for like a year. You got to go in their mansions now. And if there's one person to save the Obama coalition, it's like a sixty year old guy who's been living in Mexico for the last thirty years. <laughs> what I think. I'll- <laughs> He rides into Montpelier to announce his candidacy with a fucking uh, sea lion that he stole from SeaWorld strapped to a flatbed truck, and then he shoots it in the head with a three fifty seven Magnum. <laughs> when I think Obama coalition, I think detestable, dying, old white man. <laughs> so, uh, Al Giordano... Um, we're going to come, we're going to actually, you know, if you do this, I think we're going to volunteer for you. I want to go to the the anti-Bernie boot camp. I want to go to the School for Authentic Journalism. It's sort of like the School for the Americas, I think. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's modeled off that. Al, I will how, be, to, how to, like, garrot Bernie bros. <laughs> Al, I will be the Jeff Rowe of your campaign, meaning that, uh, I don't know, I guess I'll call Bernie Sanders and call him on the call phone him like a Jeff Jew. Rowe did, and call him a Jew and a little bug. <laughs> I will be the Dan Mitrione. <laughs> I, will, I will show all of the young people how to apply the precise pain in the precise place for the precise amount for the desired effect so uh i think that's it for the uh this week's premium show uh thanks again to all you great wolves um we'll be back uh soon with the uh, uh episode 14 which I've, i think um it's just going to be the three of us this time back to the original triumvirate no guest but I think we're going to break down all of the utterly nauseating <laughs> Hillary victory articles that were written this week because oh yeah this is going to be the fucking book club from hell it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fucking bloodbath and uh, I know you guys are going to enjoy it so uh, until episode 14 uh, thank you Chapo Org all about the Benjamin like Mike L. Check. Bet this ain't no comedy, this shit drama. See you niggas getting mad, ball getting money. Drop out wide over traffic, baby, room the kitchen. Cook up, rich inside the sofa. Blocks, money in the ceiling. Tickets still the lowest, lowest. and we still winning. winning. Drop out wide over traffic, come see how I'm living. Drop, yeah. drop, drop, drop out wide open, baby, room the kitchen. Bricks inside the sofa. Bricks.